Good evening. Omar, good to see you guys here tonight. Well, open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there are some on the table here or in the back table there. You can help yourself to that. But we're going to be continuing our series through Matthew's Gospel. And a little bit of review. Um, remember, we start off, as we're going through, we're going to be starting in verse 21, but before we jump right into this part of Jesus' talk, we have to remember that it begins, first of all, with blessing. As he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He starts off with this blessing. Then he moves into a place of affirmation. Verse 13 where he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus starts off with this blessing, with this affirmation. We talked about last week how Jesus seems to think that we are probably greater than we really believe we are, that he sees us having the potential to bring flavor, to bring a preserving element to all of the world, to bring a light to all of the earth. This is where he starts off. This is how he talks to us in this term of blessing, in the term of affirmation. And then he went on to say that he wasn't here to destroy, but to fulfill. And that takes place in verses 17 through 20. And the idea of fulfilling is to fill to the full. Jesus filled up to the full the meaning of the Old Testament, its commands and promises, its precepts, its prophecies, its symbols and types. And he did this through his life, his ministry, his death, and resurrection. This is how he fulfilled all that is there and fulfills all that is there in the Old Testament. And, and now as he concludes this, we have to recognize this is the starting point that we're beginning from. He concluded with, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, then you will in no part have enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he leaves us with this place unless you are better than them. He, he also talked about, I didn't come to destroy, but to be fulfilling this. And he starts to set this place of who he is. It, it's been said of this talk here that this is the highest ethical teaching that has ever been given. 
This is requiring an ethics of us that is higher than anything else that has been given. Now, that I don't know what that does to you, but that makes me a little nervous. When Jesus is about to give us this ethics that is the greatest ever put on this planet, what does it make you do? It kind of makes me sweat. Oh, man, what's coming my way? What's he going to be throwing at us? And so as he starts to move forward, just be aware of these things. And he starts off in verse 21 and he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. First thing that Jesus says is, or that we want to notice is his authority. We talked about this later in, in chapter 7. We see that the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. And here we see that authority that, that's being brought out to bear. And he starts off by saying, you have heard it was said. And he says that over and over again. Verse 31, it says, it has been said, but it's kind of this redundant emphasis. You've heard it said, or it has been said. Now, where would they have heard that it had been said? The law, right? This is, I mean, you probably have little number or letters there next to the passage. You have heard it was said that you shall not commit murder. And then you have a little number minus the number B that takes me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Do you guys have that little number there? Some of you, some of your Bibles do. The good Bibles do, the bad Bibles don't. <laughs> Definitely, they have heard it was said through what the Old Testament gives account. But it's also what they have heard from the teachers. The prophets, or the Pharisees, I mean, and the Sadducees, those keepers of the law. And so when he's saying, you have heard it was said, he's talking about those who have talked to you about the things that were there in the Old Testament, the teachings that they were familiar with. And Jesus is pointing this out, and I want to point this out, because he is going to say what it really means. You've heard it said, but let me tell you what was behind that. And one of the things that we should stand out or we should take notice here is how Jesus says, but I tell you, because there is an emphasis on the word I. The word I there is actually the word ego. Of course, ego. And this would be the most egotistical statement there would could possibly be. Unless Jesus is unique. Oh, you've heard this was said, and I know these people are teaching this regarding you shall not commit murder, but I'm telling you something else. And what Jesus is doing here is putting himself in this climactic revolution as the resolution of everything that they were yearning for to understand in the Old Testament. And we should ask ourselves, who is this? Who is this who can come up and say, but I tell you? Because that should smack you in the face as far as being someone who is placing themselves 
in a position of authority. Jesus claims here to be the one who speaks the mind of God. Think about that. He is claiming to speak the mind of God. That is giving pretty heavy weight to his words. Speaking the mind of God, and from this point on, on everyone's moral, from this point on, he is saying that everyone's moral life is to be measured by whether they live according to Jesus' moral vision. Think about that. Your moral life needs to be compared to Jesus' moral vision because I say to you, and he's going to list these things that he says to us. Now, we're not going to get through all of them because I wanted to lay this foundation because this is so important that we see how Jesus is establishing his words that are going to carry throughout the rest of his ministry. Oh yeah, you've heard it said. You've heard teachings about the Old Testament. Well, I'm telling you, I'm here to bring those to completion, to fulfill those things, and I'm telling you what they really are about. And so he is going to challenge us in ways that should make us shudder, that should cause us to be reeling. Have you ever seen in a fight, you know, you're watching a fight and someone takes a right hook, you know, to the side of the head and they're just reeling. It's like you can tell they're wondering, you know, are they home or where are they? You know, they don't know where they're at. They're just kind of like, mom, is that you? You know, they're just spinning around because they don't know what just happened. Well, Jesus is going to hit us with these words and they should leave us reeling. Wondering, oh my gosh, what just happened? What just hit me? What is the mind and the heart of God really about? And where am I in line with what he sees as the right thing, the moral thing to do? The instant you say morality, morals, we tend to get a little bit defensive. Don't put your morals on me. Well, but we live in a moral universe. There are consequences to things that we do. And we have to recognize that, that God is not, eh, the great grandfather in heaven. Oh, it's okay. I won't tell mom or dad. Have another piece of candy. It's okay. That there is a morality that is a part of God's nature that Jesus is going to bring to bear. And again, it's going to leave us reeling. The, the second thing we want to ask ourselves is we need to see that Jesus judges the motives and issues of the heart and not just the action. You know, murder is easy. There's a body there. But the intents and motives, well, that's harder to tell. And this is something that has always been a part of the character of God. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, speaking of David, for I rejected, for I, or speaking of Saul, excuse me, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Saul, the first king, everyone saw him. Oh, he's high, he's a tall guy, he's good looking. God says, I look at the heart, he doesn't meet it. And so what Jesus is going to do now is talk about 
what's in the heart, because that's really what I'm looking at. Oh, you've heard it said you're not to commit murder, because if you commit murder, you're in danger of the judgment, but I'm telling you this. And here's Jesus' words on this idea of murdering. I'm telling you this. Anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to the judgment. That word angry there, that should make you wonder, has anyone ever been angry with a brother or sister? No. <laughs> the idea of anger here is the idea of simmering. It's like bring, bringing that stew to a, a slow boil. It, it starts off just with a little bit of heat, a little bit of smoke, and it starts to build, and it starts to build, and it starts to build. It's those who kind of stew on those things, those who dwell on things. And you guys know what this is like. I know you do because you're like me. Something bugs you. Someone does something. Coworker, person in your family, person on the freeway. They cut you off. They say something. And it's there in your mind. And then you think about it. Why did they say that? What gives them the right to say that? I wonder if they think they're better than me. Who do they think they are to say those things to me? What about the things that they've done? And pretty soon you're having a conversation with who? With you. And what are you doing? You're just taking some twigs and you're throwing them on the fire. Who does that person think they are? Throw some more twigs on the fire. What about last week when they did this? Throw some more things on the fire. I bet they're thinking or they're going to try and do, stir up this trouble. Pretty soon you're throwing logs, you're throwing chairs and tables on the fire. And you guys have been there and pretty soon you put yourself in just this turmoil. You're just boiling inside. Why? Because it started off simmering. You just start it off, and it, pretty soon it occupies you. It takes over. Your thoughts and your intentions are now being governed by this anger that started off with a small incident, and pretty soon it turned into a boil. It's simmering. And now he, he tells us another thing. Or, brother or sister, if you say to the brother or sister, Raka. Now, I doubt that any of you are in danger of saying Raka to somebody. I might have said rock on, but, you know, or a lot of other things, but we don't say rock And the idea here, rock is to show contempt and think someone unworthy of respect. It's someone that they don't deserve your attention. They're empty-headed. Saying someone, belittling someone in your sight, thinking of someone, you're not even worth my dealing with. So it's kind of like, you empty-headed idiot. If you've said something like that, Jesus is talking about those things. Another thing he talks about here is the word, when he says, or if he says, you fool. And the idea of fool is you moron. You, you, you're a person who lacks character that's worthy of affection. You're just depraved. You're a moron. And so Jesus lists three things. 
He says, if anyone's angry, allows something to simmer. If anyone says that someone is an idiot, they just demean them or call them a fool. Think of them as just being morally corrupt and a moron. If you fall into these categories, and now think about your past week. <laughs> if any of these have shown off, shown up in your life, that you've allowed something to get to you, or you've thought someone just an idiot, you've you thought someone just a fool. Because then he gives basically three words that talk about that. One is judgment. That you're in danger of being judged if you allow your anger to get to you. And the other thing it says where he talks about going to court. It might say Sanhedrin in some of your uh, translations, and that's like the Supreme Court. Okay, if you think someone who is, is just empty-headed, an idiot, well, you're in danger of standing before the Supreme Court. Think about what that would mean. Have you ever had to stand before a judge? Even if it's just a parking ticket. You know, if you want to go for to get uh, an extension, and you have to go before the court, or if you want the sentence to be reduced, you're just intimidated. I mean, you can't even approach the bench. There's the guy with a gun, you know, the bailiff that's there to, to make sure that you understand your place. And you have to go, excuse me, and you have to say, your honor. There's this, it's this intimidating place. He has the ability to decide whether you pay lots of money or not so much money. Whether you get to go to traffic school or not. He's the one who makes the decision. Well, if you say, you idiot, you're in danger of standing before the f Supreme Court. And, and not even that. If you call someone a moron, a fool, he says that you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, this should get your attention. The idea of the fires of hell it's taken from the word Gehenna. It was a, a place that they burned trash outside of the city. And it was a picture in the Old Testament of just the judgment of God that was to take place. Now this is what happens, not when you murder someone, where you actually kill someone. This is what happens when you are angry, think someone's an idiot, an empty-headed fool. That this is the judgment that is waiting for us. Now that should make us think, what do you do with this? Are you angry with anyone? And what is Jesus trying to say? What is his point in this matter? And what I think we need to recognize is that if we look at people, as less than their God-given value, then we are in opposition to their creator. If you look at someone at less than God's given value, then you're actually opposing their creator and you're in danger of judgment because you are failing to give worth to someone who God sees as valuable. The idea of murder was the idea of to protect life. You know, the Old Testament, you shall not commit murder, was 
the idea we're going to protect life and what Jesus is doing is going way past that and it's the idea of protecting the person. Protecting what that person really is. This is more than killing someone. This is about discrediting who God has created, their significance as being a person created and made in God's image. This is the most pure human rights that is given anywhere. <laughs> Wake up, Joe. <laughs> to acknowledge that we are created in God's image. This, this form of thinking is when the kingdom of heaven just breaks into our reality, where there is a morality that is beyond us, comes into play. I mean, isn't that amazing? Just to think of how this would affect our lives if we understood that. You know, oh, look at that image-bearing person created in God's likeness cutting me off on the freeway. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> what a wonder they are. Well, look at the light has turned green, and yet they marvel at that marvelous person has yet to accelerate. <laughs> How quickly, you idiot, you jerk. Doesn't get any greener. Starts simmering. How unnatural this is for us to have this mentality about other people. And how it shows how high-minded we are to think of ourselves better than these people. To conduct ourselves in this way. You see, pick anyone. That homeless person who is filthy, whose clothes are stained with their own urine. And recognize that in the eyes of God, that person is more majestic than the beaches of Hawaii. That that person is more valuable than a cute baby seal or your favorite pet. That person bears the image of the Creator. And so you're not supposed to murder, but I'm telling you, that person is so much more valuable than that. If you get angry at them, you don't realize who you're getting angry at. That if you call them an empty-headed fool, you don't realize the danger that you're in for not regarding what I have created. That's a little scary. That, that's a little troubling. And this isn't to move us or bring us to despair, but it's to move us to humility. It's to move us to mercy. It's to move us to this recognition that we indeed need God's grace to live a life that doesn't judge the way we do. And when anger shows up, what, what are we supposed to do? 
because we do get angry. And so he goes on and tells us a little bit of how we're supposed to think of these things. In verse 24, or verse 23, excuse me, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So what are you supposed to do? If you're offering your gift to the altar, remember someone has something against you, you need to leave. Now, we might think, oh, okay, that's simple. Imagine traveling up to 50 miles to go to a place of worship. And you don't have a car. You have to walk. This is taking you days to get to this place of worship. And in their mind, the Jewish mind, the place of worship is the most important place you can be. You spent days getting there. You're there and you're involved with the most important thing. You've got the do not disturb sign on the door. I'm in the most important place. I've put my phone on silence. I can't be disturbed. I am right here in before God right now. This is the most important thing I can be doing. Jesus says, if you remember someone's got something you against you, you need to leave. You need to go make it right. Because that is more important. And so when you find yourself angry, when you find yourself thinking, belittling someone, when you find yourself having this against someone, you need to take care of it. Because this is the most important thing. John writes in 1 John, how can you love God? who you haven't seen, if you can't love your brother, who you do see. And, and John seems to equate having spent this time with Jesus with how we treat each other is really how we treat God. It's easy to be spiritual when you don't have to deal with people. The minute you bring people into the equation, it tests you. It challenges your patience. It tests your sympathy. How much you really do love. And so Jesus tells us the more important thing for you to do than traveling all that distance and worshiping God is to be right with your brother. And it doesn't say if they've wronged you, if you think that they're upset with you. Tells them, if they've got something against you, you need to settle it. You need to take care of it quickly. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, 
As much as lies with you, live at peace with everyone. You see, the kingdom of heaven is about this peace that is supposed to be between us as human beings. The kingdom of heaven is to have this this peace reigning in our lives. This peace towards one another, this love and concern for one another, this care for one another. It is supposed to be a part of what makes his kingdom. And if we're not attached to that, guess what? We're in danger of the judgment. We are not connected to God. And I wonder why it is that we are are so quick to dismiss certain things as important in Scripture and will hold on to others. Why is it so easy to, to dismiss, oh, don't get angry with people? Well, what about these people? They're idiots. You can't just not get angry. Well, Paul did say you can be angry but not sin. What would be the sin? The sin would be belittling the creation that God has made. You see, instead of dealing with a circumstance that is wrong, now I'm berating a person. And how quick are we to go there? How easy is it for us to get angry, to to get upset, and to think, no big deal? It's the relationship that matters. Keeping the commands is about the relationship that those commands are intending to help. It's not just about killing someone. It's about the value of that person. It's not about your worship of God. It's about your relationship with others. That is connected to your worship to God. And what would our world look like if we really lived this way? If we really cared like this? How would it change things around us? Is this too hard? Is Jesus asking something that is just beyond our ability? I think so. I think he is. Now, wait a second. If he's asking us to do something beyond our ability, then what, what, what are we supposed to do? What, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus knows our frailty. He knows who we are. But he knows what we can be. C.S. Lewis said that God will help us to be holy, but he will not help us to be anything less. In other words, the standard that God has is perfection, is complete, and he will help us to get there. But if we say, this is good enough, he says, no, I won't help you. I will help you to be holy, but I won't help you to be anything less. And so I have this standard for how you're supposed to live. Is it too difficult for you? You bet it is, but I'll help you to get there. I'll help you to make it to that place, and I won't settle for anything less. But it's impossible. Yeah, with man, all these things are impossible. With me, it's not. 
And I can change you if you depend on me. I can reveal to you the darkness and the poor poverty of your heart. If you depend on me, I can help you to be more than who you are. But you need me. You need to be changed. You need to be born again. It's interesting that the Hindus, is it Hindu? no, the Buddhists, I believe it is, I forget which one now. But they believe that the whole idea of reincarnation is I have to be born into a new life so that I can get better, so I can attain to this nirvana. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You see, there, there needs to be a new life. There needs to be a new creation. Otherwise, you will not get there. And, and so God is trying to, to get us to this place of holiness, but we need a dependency on him. And, and you see, the Ten Commandments are really the, the bottom of what it means to be human. Don't kill. Don't steal each other's stuff. Don't tell lies. That's just the, that's the base of what it means to be human. If you do those things, you're, you're just doing what is human to do and deal with each other. But Jesus is saying, I really have so much more for you. It's not just about the killing. It's about the intents and attitudes of your heart. It's about so much more. Don't settle for the base, the bare minimum. I have this for you. And it's so much greater than what you can imagine. You know, when I was working with kids and Little League Baseball, and you're trying to get the kids to, to throw a ball, especially the pitcher, you know, and you're, you don't aim for the glove, aim through the glove. You want the ball to go past the glove. You're not just trying to get it there, you're trying to get it through the glove to the backstop. You want to push through that. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, don't just deal with the base, you need to get past that. I have so much more. You need to push through this. Be more than who you can be. Depend on me, and I will get you to be what you are not. And this idea of holiness is something that's really foreign to us. This idea of not being angry is just not a part of our nature. You're going to go home tonight, and you're probably going to get angry. But will you recognize how important it is in the eyes of God, how you deal with one another, your husband, your wife, your kids, the workplace, school, the people that you encounter who are slow in giving you your food, the people who mess up on your coffee order and use the wrong ingredients. But I paid $5 for this drink. Idiot. Do you realize your heart and the attitude? And what would it be like if you really cared about the person? Oh, well, they messed this up. Ah, that's a dragon. And didn't think evil of them. What would that look like to the people around you? I hate it when that happens. Those idiots. Hey, hey, don't call them names. It's just a drink. It's just money. They are more important. Wow. It would change. It would change things. 
He goes on in verse 25. says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on your way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the very last penny. It's more important to be reconciled than it is to be right. Here's a little advice for all you married couples. It's more important to be reconciled than it is to be right. And you're supposed to do it quickly. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians 4. He tells us, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. He's not saying at 7.30 you better get done before, you know, the... He's saying, get it done quick. Don't wait. Settle the matter quickly. This is important. The reconciliation is more important than you justifying the reason why you should still be angry. I'm not going to make up. They were wrong. I'm not going to make up until they know that they were wrong. I want them to grovel on their feet. Or, no, their hands and knees. Can't grovel on your feet, I don't think. I want them to pay. I want them to know how hurt I am. Settle it quickly. Why? Why is it so important? Because you're in danger of judgment if you don't. In the same way that you judge others, you're going to be judged. You know, it's interesting. If you take this idea of adversary and make it the devil himself, how do you settle things quickly with your adversary? How do you settle things quickly when the devil accuses you? You're not good enough for God. Agree with him. You're right. I'm not. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You're right. I don't. I'm going to settle this quickly. I'm going to get it out of the way. If he hands you over to the judge. Take me to the judge. This matter's already been dealt with. I'm guilty. Christ paid my penalty. I have no, no leg to stand on. I'm bankrupt. I entrust myself. I've settled this matter. My adversary has nothing on me because I've humbled myself, admitted my fault, have been reconciled to my God through Jesus Christ, and now there is nothing that can be held against me. The relationship that we have with people needs to take precedence over our own demands or rights. If, something ha if someone has something against you, settle it. Apologize. Humble yourself. If you've got something against someone else, deal with it. Settle it. 
Don't let it simmer. Don't let your anger take you to a place where you start demeaning a person who was created in the image of God, no matter who that person is. If you think them an idiot or a moron, recognize what you are about, what you are doing in these areas where you're angry, in these areas where there is this simmering frustration. Because Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. If you commit murder, you're in danger. You can go to jail. You might get the sentence, death sentence. I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of the death sentence. In fact, if you call someone an idiot, you're going to stand before the highest court. If you call someone an empty-headed fool, you're in danger of hell. That should cause us to stop. That should make us reflect where we are. And more importantly, what this is doing is, is, is exposing the heart of God, which is whole, all of what Jesus is wanting to do, is make the things of God more clear. Why is murder wrong? Well, of course, it's killing someone. But there's a motive. There's an intent of the heart that begins. Murder is the result of what has taken place within. We're going to see that everything that he's going to go through, we're going to go a little quicker through the rest of these, but everything when we talk about adultery, when we talk about divorce, when we talk about promises, taking oaths, all these things have to do with the intents of the heart. And if we don't begin there, we're missing the point, because that's what God is wanting to change completely. Does anyone have any questions just on what we've talked about here. Think anybody's going to make it to heaven? <laughs> well, what, what did Jesus say? I mean, in regards to that idea, you know, when they said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the person who has any substance to make it to heaven. And then... Peter says, who can make it to heaven? He says, with man, these things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, if it's depending on you, you're not going to make it. But if you're poor in spirit, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're meek, then you're blessed. You see? And so this isn't about just having it be there. This is about intention. This is about motives. You know, when I... I I'm, Counseling people, I, I no longer tell people very often what to do. You know, someone comes to me and they have an issue. I don't say, well, you need to do this. You need to do this. What I usually want to find out is, what do you want to do? I want to find out intention. If a couple comes in and they're struggling, you know, in their marriage, I don't say, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. I say, what do you want? I want to see what their intention is. Because if they don't want to love their wife or to get along with their husband, what does it matter what I tell them? They probably already know what the scripture says. It's what they want. It's the intention of their heart. If I know the intention, well, I want this to work out, well, then we can find out how to make their intention a reality. 
we can talk about those things that are going to happen. But if they don't want that, what can you do? You've heard it said. You know, I can quote scripture to them, and usually they can finish the scripture before I end up. Well, you know, Jesus said that you're to love, I know I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church, but she did this, this, and this, and this. What do I do? If you don't want this, if you don't deal with the intention, nothing's going to happen. If you deal with the intention, you can move towards the right place. You know, a person's having issues with uh, drugs. What do you want? Well, I want to be free from the drugs. Okay, now we can move to a place. Because your intention is, is a good place. That's your intent. I, I want to be free from this. Okay. But if you don't want to, nothing can happen. Nothing can change. And so what Jesus is dealing here is with our intention. Do you want to love people? Do you want not to be angry? Do you want to settle things quickly? Then we can work. Then we can deal with this. I'll deal with your shortcomings because what you want, you're blessed for wanting those things. You're poor in spirit. You're hungering, thirsting for righteousness. Then I can deal with those things. If you think you're too good, we got a problem. <laughs> Just wait till we get to love your enemies. This was the easy one. Uh, <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> Father, you challenge us and you reveal, Lord, our own hearts to us. And sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to see how far we are from your truth, your holiness, your, your gracefulness and your mercy, God. And it's uh, humbling to recognize that our nature and who we naturally are is so contrary to what we see in you. And it just does bring us to a place of spiritual bankruptcy, of, Lord, meekness, of recognition of who you are and how we need you. And, Lord, we understand that we are all works in progress, and we are so glad that your mercy has been extended to us. We are so overwhelmed with gratitude for how good you are, how forgiving you are, how patient you are. And Lord, you will help us to be holy, but you will not settle for us to be anything less. And so may we pursue this holiness, may we pursue this righteousness that you are setting, may we strive to live this moral life that you have called us to live. And may we not shun back. May we not resist, Father, the pruning and the correcting and the changing that needs to take place in our lives. Father, we want to have these lives. They are good. They are complete. They are what you've called us to. May we not shrink back from them. I pray in Jesus' name.